The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live here from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, and I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. Um, if I sound a little under the weather, that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> I feel tired um, and a little bit nauseous, but uh, we're, we're going to make it through things. And uh, glad you guys have joined us. We're going to have an exciting show because um, my friend Victor is on the line, and uh, he's got more. He's got enough energy for both of us this morning. So uh, we're going to have a good time, and we're going to learn some things along the way in our uh historical study here. Let me get some formalities out of the way. Check us out at sonsoflibertyradio.com and or sonsoflibertymedia.com. If you go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, you can see the face that's made for radio and uh, just scroll down right down the right. You can watch the video portion of our radio show. And this is a radio show. I <laughs> I had a good friend saying, oh, you know, you it's so long and you, you didn't get to the point of, of this and he only he watched half the show. And I'm like, well, it's not like, you know, videos that people pull up that are that are three minutes or ten minutes or something they just are at one thing uh we have an hour that we cover here so bear with us when we deal with these things uh, if you'd like to also check out any of the other channels that we have that provide a video you can go to our twitter account at fpp tim fpp tim on twitter our facebook page is bradley dean sol bradley dean sol our youtube channel is b dean sons of liberty B. Dean, Sons of Liberty on YouTube. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com. Uh, every morning at 6 a.m., weekday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern. And then at 3 p.m. Eastern, Bradley's on on Before It's News. And we appreciate our friend Michael Roach opening that uh, venue up to us. You can also catch us on DLive.TV. DLive.TV. And look for The Sons of Liberty. The Sons of Liberty on DLive.TV. And then finally, Spreely Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.Life. Look for us on Sons of Liberty. Or sons of, or yeah, sons of liberty, or sons of liberty media, and uh, like I said, it's good to have you guys here with us. We're continuing a series that we began. Oh, I don't know, two months ago or so, and <clears throat> this is dealing with why is America, why is the United States involved in the Middle East? What's got us in there? And if you say, well, it's, it's a bunch of Muslims, <laughs> then you have no idea. Why we are there? You really don't. If you say, "Well, it's the state of Israel," well, again, you still don't have the full picture of that. 
as to why we're there. And so today, um, we're going to be talking about ancient Gnosticism, the Kabbalah, and Freemasonry. Now, uh, these are sources of the French Revolution and the Age of Revolutions. And to help us in that is my good friend, Victor Poirier. Good morning, Victor. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? I see you're not doing as well as you might. Might. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I'm not feeling that way right now, but I figure uh, it might be I didn't get very much sleep last night, and um, and that may have something to do with it. I'm, I'm just not sure right now, but uh, maybe uh, maybe after a nap after the show or something, then I'm I'm doing great. Otherwise, I mean, I just kind of feel a little bit. Um, but you're feeling good, and that's the important thing, because you're going to be the one doing all the talking today and the teaching. And so I'm going to kick it over to you, because you have... Um, I think a quote <laughs> that some people in the chat room are really going to like. Well, be, uh, before I do that, uh, Tim, I, I'm hoping that you uh, will feel free to, even though you're not feeling well, uh, interject. I think it's uh, better to get bite-sized pieces of this than rather me doing a, a university 50-minute lecture. <laughs> no, that's um, fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be asking questions as, uh, as they okay. come about. Yep. Well, listen, I'm going to do a little bit of change today of of the topic you decided. I'm going to try to get to some of it to the end. But, you know, this last week on my Facebook page, I've got about 4,500 people, and I have a a lot of time trying to deal with the various comments. And then I do a little uh, brief uh, radio program, uh, you know, just a few minutes on a regular uh, talk show program up here in Albany, New York. And uh, what I'm seeing in the middle of uh, people being hunkered down is, an awful lot of even Christians uh, manifesting spirits of fear and anxious uh, thoughts about the morrow, and then a whole bunch of uh, bizarre discussions of you know, well, what, are we going to get the mark of the beast, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought I would like to take a few minutes for people to share, uh, for me to share a little bit about what I think are some of the basics and the fundamentals of what I think is a, a biblical understanding of Christianity and what we're called to do, sure. and then I'll move into the others. So, you know, the first thing is whenever you hear somebody talking, with the, they've got a pitch, the two questions should come to your mind. Who says, and so what? Well, what I'm trying to say is, uh, is that what I'm saying, I hope, is uh, by the standard of God's revelation in the Old and New Testaments, or as one person said, the, uh, the original First Testament and the final Second Testament. Um, but so I'd like to talk about that from that point of view. And so what has to do with how we walk before the Lord? And so let me say this, you know, when we, we should ask ourselves, what comes first in a Christian walk? What is, what, what are you called to do? And I think what we're called to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, how many people that are say they're Christians really are seeking first the kingdom of God? It's a very important question. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, you know, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What is the will of the Lord? Well, another place Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, which are by laws, by statutes, by precepts, by, by ordinances. And so the next question is, well, what, how do I get wise of our understanding about the kingdom? And he says, get ye wisdom the principal thing. Okay, uh, the prism, we're called to be wise. How do you get wisdom? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and not the fear of fear. fear. And so many people don't even begin there. And so the next question is, he says, bring every thought captive. That's thoughts about yourself, about God, about your family, the raising of your kids, your dealing with civil government, every thought. How many Christians are really trying to do that? He says, study to show thyself approved. Do we try to study to show ourselves approved? We're supposed to seek to have the mind of Christ. Do we try to seek the mind of Christ? And now how many people to spend some time with the Beatitudes or the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians to say to measure up what's happening to them? And then I come to what I wanted to talk about particularly is Ephesians 6. What is the armor of God, and why are we told we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spirits and rules and, uh, of darkness in high places? Why? Because we are involved in a spiritual warfare. And most people do not pay attention to that, and it's one of the reasons why the church is largely the church of nice. Uh, and the church of nice is Sunday with a psychological pep talk, uh, some entertaining music, and who has the best donuts after church. And I mean, that's really a gross exaggeration, but it's all too true in too many cases, because the Church of Nice is not a victory-oriented church. This country would not be in the situation it is in today if God's people were really following what he was supposed to, were supposed to do in terms of advancing the kingdom from the enthroned king in heaven. And we don't do that. We've essentially retreated, and the, and we, the result is, uh, as Bob Dylan says in his song, you may have very few, you've got to have, you, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And every time a person is disobedient, who's walking with the, God, with the Lord, knowingly says, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do what I want to do, you have just switched your allegiance temporarily. And when you do that, you resist the Holy Spirit. And if you continue to resist the Holy Spirit, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you continue to do that, he'll eventually quench his presence in your life on that particular area. And then he'll figure out a way to really bring it to your attention. And judgment begins at the house of God. And most people don't even pay attention to that. We have retreated, and we have blended the society's teachings around us. So we send our kids to the State Indoctrination Network, which is all Luciferian. And, you know, what are we living in? We live in a society which, in which we have a judicial system, which is not biblical. It's now ever-changing. It's essentially doctrines and doctrines and demons. What kind of schools do we have? Teaching atheism, evolution, uh, and against Christianity, doctrines of demons. We watch television, news, and entertainment. What do we get for the most part out of Hollywood and New York? Doctrines of demons. What do we get out of Wall Street? Doctrines of demons. What do we get out of Washington, D.C.? Doctrines of demons. This is what we're facing. Since we are in a society which we're a small minority, and then we don't even be, obey our Lord, and so judgment begins at the house of God. And what we're going through right now with the Wuhan virus, with the imploding economy, uh, with all the various things that are coming down the pike, uh, people want to get raptured out perhaps, but the reality is this is because 
Christians have failed to be faithful. It's the same thing that the the Jews went through in their history. You look at what happened. Finally, they were so bad, uh, abandoning the teachings of God, following idols, etc. They wound up in the Babylonian captivity. And so (laughs) this is a problem. And if people don't take time to check into this in terms of what does God call me to do? What is a victorious vision for the kingdom? Why? How do I serve my Lord and Master? If you think you're saved and that's sufficient and you don't have to love him by obeying his commandments, you don't understand it. And you're going to be faced with something when you die. There's going to be two options that you're going to hear. And they're both in the book of Matthew. One of them is, well done, good and faithful servant, come to your rest. And the other one is, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. And so what is the, when we finally say, people say, oh, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people will call them, who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's the first beatitude, poverty of spirit. How many people that are walking with Christ really seek to have him examine them and to, say, to humble themselves and seek my face and uh, pray and turn from their wicked ways? The average Christian hasn't got a clue as what the comprehensive nature of wicked ways are. And the wicked ways and, and God's commandments, you know, we're not saved by the obedience to God's commandments. We're saved by the grace and blood of Christ Jesus. But we well, then correct. have a walk to walk. Get yeah. off the Broadway, get on the narrow path, and use these guidelines, these rules, these commandments to live a godly life, pleasing our Creator, and really leading to the promise of paradise, whatever kinds of things we go through. So I just wanted to say that up front, and you can say some things before I go go on a little further. Yeah, no, I agree with you, uh, Victor, that those are the things, and we see that even today. We see it in the responses, whether it is out of fear. Um, this radio, you know, if people come to the com or they come to this um, this radio show or our video channels, and they think, well, you're just promoting fear, you're just promoting fear, you're just promoting fear. Well, <clears throat> that is not my intention at all. There is a, the, the, the response in the hearer or the viewer is determined by what's in them, not what's in me. I do not run around saying, you know, like Chicken Little with the sky falling. Uh, we have great confidence in God. But here's the thing. If you don't learn to fear God, guess what? You're, you're going to fear man. You're going to fear what man's going to do to you. Now, I might do I have concerns about things that I see going on? Yeah, I do. And you talked about anxiousness and stuff, and the Bible says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer and petition or prayer and supplication, let your petitions be made known to God. And so we're not to be those who are anxious, even about the things that we see going on right now in our country and around the world. We're not to be that way. We're to, we can stand fast in the fact that our God is the one in control of all of these things. None of them have taken him by surprise. He has decreed them and written them in his books, and he knew them and the purpose for them. This is what some people don't understand. I had a guy the other day. He asked, he said, well, if there there was really a God, well, he wouldn't allow all this killing, and he wouldn't allow this and that and the other. And I just wrote to him, and I said, I'll bet you're a person who who doesn't like dictators. And I said, but you're asking God to be a dictator over everybody in the sense that you don't want, you don't want uh, people to make choices and things. Now, you want those choices uh, for yourself, 
but you're you're wanting to point the finger at God as though he's he's responsible somehow. You can point the finger at him for all of the bad things in the world. Well, God's called people to obey him, and that brings about peace. That brings about true peace between men. And when they do that, then there is the love that flows between all men. But and but as long as men are going to reject the very things that you talked about at first here, they're going to continue to get the hand of God against them. Now, when you talk about blending things, this is part of some of the things I imagine uh, due to our topic that you're going to be discussing today. And that is in Gnosticism, Kabbalah, Freemasonry. We we see this these things, this there's this blending of what is real and legitimate with something that isn't. It makes it yeah, a lie. Right. It makes it a lie. And then we see the results of those things. Uh, specifically, uh, you said we're going to talk about the French Revolution and other things. We see the results when people do not obey what God has said. Right. Well, I, we're, we're on the same path there. And I think the next thing I want to go before I get to the uh, the ancient mysteries and whatnot, a couple more things to say. And that is, you have to understand, we have to understand that we are, and all human beings have, from the time of the Garden of Eden, been involved in a spiritual warfare between God and his top angel who decided to rebel, took a third of the angels with him, and has been engaged in a battle with God ever since. But God's ultimately the king, and God ultimately has him on, on a short leash. But he still has his 33rd uh, uh, percentage of the angels. I like to call Lucifer's 33rds. And w- th- those people, those beings, have con- be- essentially controlled much of this world. When, when Jesus was offered by the Satan the kingdoms of the world, is a legitimate offer. If you believe that any nation, state, uh, and even many institutional religions uh, are free from demonic influence, you don't understand Ephesians 6. And you don't understand that we have been faced with a spiritual power that rules behind the, the citadels of power, and they do not wish to be identified, and they use all kinds of various fronts. And they would have us believe that our enemy is political or economic, and they love to put on the front of a, that the world is only a materialistic uh, set of empirical facts and there's no supernatural. And as long as we believe that the enemy is political or economic or cultural and not an unseen spiritual power, we cannot advance the true kingdom of God and we cannot respond appropriately to the things that come into our lives. So but what we see that then is that they, if you think that the challenge, the real problem is the Democrat Party, or if you think the real problem is the money trust, or if you think the real problem is the satanic Hollywood, or any of these kinds of things, what you have fallen into, the, the what I call the pincer trap. Because what you have is they constantly, these the, the demonic forces constantly create dialectical issues so that you you know if you if you have somebody committing abortion then you have to fight against abortion so now you're fighting back and forth between uh, pro-life pro-life pro-choice pro-life and you're going to find a compromise and so that we're always in this dialectical tension where they you're choosing one side or the other and you're still operating on the horizontal you don't really see that behind this that is a game being played on us and so 
they, by controlling the debate and concealing their presence, they operate above the threshold of the understanding of the uh, masses who are mostly dumbed down by the, the, the school system that indoctrinated them in the first place. And so trying to fix things on the horizontal uh, while denying the powers of the vertical spiritism always fails, and the, the history of man shows that. Wars, revolutions, dictatorships, torture, evil, slavery, etc., etc. So what do we see today is the effects of an advancing spiritual collectivism. It's not communism. It's not socialism. It's not fascism on the horizontal level. It's a spiritual collectivism that goes back which I'll come to in a moment, the Tower of Babel. And so when you, until you get your mind around that um, and, do, and acknowledge that we have a, an enemy that is a spiritual enemy and that we don't have a chance against that on our own. I mean, these, these are beings over 6,000 years old with a lot of seasoning, and I don't think they sleep. And so that's why the power of God is so critical to who we are and how we act and learning to walk in his ways, not our own. And so when you see, see things like uh, Freemasonry or theosophy or atheism or materialism or rabbinic Judaism or Islam or class struggle, race struggle, ideological struggles, religious struggles, all these things are all just horizontal games that we have to be, we, we get involved in. And so until we get out of that, set of games and start to say, wait, wait a minute, what, what is the story? And most people so radically interested in understanding the book of Revelation and never studied Genesis. I mean, it's, you know, it's like saying, gee, I want to study nuclear physics and explain it right now, but I haven't learned fractions and multiplication tables. Yep. And all those fractions and multiplication tables are back in Genesis, the book in the garden. So what do we have? We have two trees, a tree of life, which are... And, well able to eat, and a tree of good and evil, which temporarily is forbidden. Because until you have eaten deep, deeply of the tree of life, or the fruit of life, or the bread of life, namely Christ Jesus, the Logos, and his word inscriptured in the Old and New Testaments, you're not ready to discern what's true and false and right and wrong until you've been taught by the Lord. Only then can you start to eat of the tree of good and evil, because then you can start to discern what is evil, and what is good. And so, but the trouble is, we all want to jump to that, we want to skip to being fed by God, and being a child of God, and reared in the family of God. We want to jump right in, and be full-scale adults, and choosing for ourselves what's true and false, and right and wrong. And there we got hooked. Yeah. And so what happened? One of the, huh? Well, one of the things is, is that, and I, we could quote from Rush Dooney, uh, that when you talked about our political things and our economic things is is our politics is really our religion externalized it's it we're we're playing out in our politics and in our culture i think well, i think you used the term culture but that is our religion externalized and so i had this conversation yesterday and we're going to have to move because we're about the halfway point here but <clears throat> the um I, I explained i was talking with a, a good friend of mine and he says you know he says i agree with all you say but then, you know, there's this thing, well, for instance, when we talk about moves the president's made, this stimulus package or whatever the case may be, he says, well, he has to act politically here. And I said, no, that is not his job. His job is to make sure that the laws are faithfully executed. And you don't do that by breaking the law. And so it's the, it's this constant thing of saying, 
finding a way around doing our duty before God of what we're supposed to do and uh, and then justifying it. And I just, I can't do that. I, I mean, I can't do it with myself. If, if I'm, if I'm negligent in something um, that I should be doing, I can say, yeah, here's the reason it happened, but I can't make that as an excuse. I did something I shouldn't have done. And the same thing happens today with, with the Christians. You talked about humbling themselves. And yet when you go to confront things that they're supporting or things in the culture and they try to justify it, they're not humble about it. They're seeking to justify it. And how do we expect how are we expecting God to do something when he said you've got to do this first and we won't do that? Well, here's a very here's a foundational thought. And I think I wish every Christian would understand this. Government or politics is an outward expression of whoever controls them. And that's by a worldview. And every worldview has an ethical dimension, an ethical foundation. Uh, when, when Nancy Pelosi says it's immoral to have uh, closed borders, she's talking about an ethical system that she has. So every state, every government, every civil government has an ethical or moral system. It's a, it, so government is an ethical institution, but there are different ethics. And the question is, Whose worldview, whose ethical system controls the government? Because whoever controls the government controls the economics, and it controls the social justice system, and it controls, it controls your life through law. And so when Christians avoid trying to uh, oppose ungodly laws, be they having to do with money or distribution of wealth or taxation or whatever it may be, they have abandoned the king, uh, for blending with the enemy. And so that's really critical. So you're absolutely right. Uh, government is worldview applied to economics and justice, and that's the way it is. And until we understand that, it's not a question of who's the man in power, who's going to save us, you know, which party's going to do No, 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 no. The question is, what does God have to say about the various aspects of civil government and education, etc.? So let's go back. So after the first, uh, after the garden, they get kicked out of the garden, and we have two sons. Cain uh, kills Abel. Uh, Cain is set off. He builds a city. And do you know the third degree, master's degree uh, in Freemasonry, the password for them is Tubal Cain? <laughs> yeah, I've heard so, that. So what you have is uh, you're already starting to, if you start to understand Freemasonry, and I'm probably not going to have time to go into it as much today. We'll be pick up next week. Is that all? It, they they honor Nimrod, which we come to next. Now remember, we were talking about the the Lucifer's thirty thirds, and so we they exist all the time. They existed up to the flood, and there were a lot of people saved before that. But those that were just disobeying and the advancement of technologies, and and it was really an evil system. And God said, enough already, and he destroyed them. But those, those, uh, those 32nds, they still lived. So as soon as Noah lands the ark and the, and the three sons and their wives start reproducing, you start getting uh, an influence on one of the descendants of him, Nimrod, and he and his wife Semiramis in the plains of Shinar, which is essentially Baghdad, Babylon area between the Tigris and Euphrates. 
they begin to build the Tower of Babel. And that's really a city. He's drawing them all in. They're going to all speak a universal language. And, of course, I think in part of it, it was trying to build something, a structure high enough that they couldn't be flooded out again, but leaving that aside. And, of course, he was a master builder, just as Cain was a master builder. And to be a master builder, you have to be an architect. And an architect is not necessarily a creator. He has to take existing materials. And it's very interesting that the god of Freemasonry is called the great architect of the universe. Mm -hmm. So so you, you find that, and they also have the promise within Freemasonry of eventually having a world government with one language. <laughs> so God says no, he splits everybody up, and they are starting to already worship spirit beings. And so one of the reasons why, as you move out into the different nations, there's all these different gods and goddesses, uh, these spirit beings, but they're the same ones. They just have different names. I mean, Bel, Osiris, Jupiter, Zeus, Mithra, Krishna, uh, these are all sun gods, uh, but it's the same thing. And the same with the women. I mean, the Semiramis is Isis and Venus and Aphrodite and the Queen of Heaven. And these things all continue to run through these various uh, religions. And so when you understand that this was centered in Babylon, but Egypt too, eventually. And when the Jews were taken into Babylon and Babylonian captivity, they got to expose there in serious ways to Babylonian magic and astrology and reincarnation. And so you wind up having a, a permanent base for the creation of the Babylonian Talmud and the Kabbalah which starts to come back. And when Jesus was talking about the traditions, he was talking about the traditions that they had brought back from Babylon. So I'm going to leave that for a section right now because that's just a piece of the puzzle. So what happens then? Um, we, 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 we talked about uh, the great architect of the universe. Um, so then what happens is that in, in Greece, you had the same sort of things, this reincarnation, uh, no ultimate creator God, uh, situation uh, ethics, more, you know, moral dualism, there's, but there's good and there's bad. The Gnostic idea is uh, that there is both a force of good and a force of bad. Uh, and you see it in Star Wars. Star Wars is a classic Gnostic movie. You know, which side are you going to choose? But ultimately, they're equal, because everything is trying to move back to the oneness. And so Gnosticism is, is one of the uh, Luciferian worldviews that permeates virtually every society of ancient history. And that's where you get the mystery religions and the secret adepts, you know, the, the, the elites who are studying and advancing up this ladder of knowledge and understanding versus the masses who are kept on the outside. And so you end up having secret societies. You've always had secret societies, and, and, and the usually in the mystical types are, are adepts that they uh, think that, and they should rule, and many of them do, and they rule from behind the scenes, and they have two major institutions. They'll either rule through an upfront religion or they'll rule from an upfront state. And so you'll find different things. In the, uh, when the breakup of the Roman Empire, you wound up with, the, uh, with Constantine creating a, 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 a state which, for which, to which the religion was subordinate. And in Rome, you wound up having the Pope 
being the primary uh, ruler with the state being subordinate. But it's there. Both of them are dealing with religious and political control systems. And of course, Constantine, by <laughs> saying he was a Christian, he wound up with uh, all kinds of of blendings of, of paganism with Christianity and Mithraism, and so he essentially was a Gnostic himself. So that then goes down through the years, and so all these adept societies, these secret societies, they continue to exist. Uh, sometimes they wound up in monasteries. Uh, sometimes they were off on their different ways. So they always had this this uh, dualistic Gnostic stuff going on. And we, as, the, as the Middle Ages unfold, eventually they have the Crusades, and the Crusaders go into the Middle East, and they get uh, to be familiar now, not only with some of the Jewish Kabbalistic stuff, but with the Islamic Sufis and the, uh, the assassins of the Hashishim, uh, who had these very similar things, intelligence operations, um, ciphers and codes, and they bring this back. So you start having in the late Middle Ages, you wind up having uh, a, a rebirth, slow a slow rebirth of the ancient mystery religions, and and what happens then is that when eventually the Muslims destroy Constantinople and turn it into Istanbul, and you get a number of these people moving out of of uh, there were Christians moving to Rome and uh, to places, other places in Europe, you, they're bringing with them all this mystery religion stuff from Plato and Aristotle and, and the other things. And so Gnosticism is one of the, the key parts of the Renaissance. It's just the rebirth of the mystery religions. And so you have an outer shell, which is essentially humanistic, scientific kind of things. And behind it is the secret societies of the occultists. And that begins to work in about 1453. And in Great Britain, Great Britain, you already have Masonic-type sects, but there's a guy named Francis Bacon who comes right after uh, John Dee. And these guys are, are talking to spirits. They're uh, creating a, essentially the Masonic orders as it got developed and refined in Great Britain. Um, and totally, we talked about this last time, uh, Queen Elizabeth I was very much involved in the occult. And the Society of Great Britain, the elites, the inner core of the elites, turned out to be Gnostics and Freemasons. On the outside is a very formalistic, ritualized church. There's some great Christians have been in it over the centuries, but it's essentially a highly ritualized, uh, top-down kind of a church. So that that sort of thing began to move towards... Um, uh, uh, Freemasonry as, as spreading about, and what you have then is that, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to take a, a drink of water here. Sure, take your time. Yeah, one of the things, Victor, <clears throat> my father, uh, he was a Southern Baptist, he, I guess he still is doing uh, some preaching, but he was a Southern Baptist pastor, and um, one of the things he told me even about the, the Freemasons because we had one guy in the church at the time, and this guy just uh, – it was it was ridiculous. I, <clears throat> I remember one Sunday morning I was going to be preaching, and we had an older gentleman uh, who was my dad's associate pastor. And the guy gets up talking about, oh, we'd like for everybody to come down to the dedication of the new courthouse where the Freemasons of the da-da-da is going to be setting the cornerstone. 
And I, I even at a, as a young younger Christian then at that time, I just kind of looked back and I'm like, I just, I just looked at the older gentleman and I said, why is nobody telling this guy to just be quiet? That has no place in here. And he goes, I know. I said, should we get a goat and sacrifice it too? I mean, I said it sort of tongue in cheek. And he just kind of, he kind of laughed. And, um, but that comes into, I mean, this stuff comes into the church. We, we talked about it. Uh, you mentioned the mingling of these things and the problems that that caused. I think it even caused it in, you know, our founding uh, there was some mingling of this stuff. It wasn't that the men weren't taught Christ and they weren't taught the scriptures and all this other, but there's this mingling. And so, whereas before you had things like Solemn League and Covenant and, uh, you know, the Mayflower Compact and all that were explicitly Christian. I mean, they were unashamed of it. And then you get even our U.S. Constitution. <clears throat> and I think the closest thing people can see in the language of that is in the year of our Lord. That's the that's the closest thing they can come to in that, uh, to to point to to Christianity. And of course, every you know everybody was using that back then. But this intermingling and it allows for an undermining of doing the very things that you talked about in the first half of the show, and that is to follow the Lord. And so um, when we get to these different things, these mystery religions stuff, what was the impact on the society? At the times when they came in, what you were talking about the French Revolution, can we make comparisons of the French Revolution and the ideology behind it compared to, say, the ideologies behind uh, the war for independence here in the states? Yeah, well, that's very important. Yeah. So what you have then, starting now, remember that we have different uh, mystery religion sects in Europe now by the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, including the Rosicrucians and the, uh, too many things to go into, but suffice it to say that the specific institution of the Freemasons formed in Great Britain is the, is the key institution to understand. It's not the only one to understand, but you have to understand it in its influence, not only in Great Britain, uh, but in America and in France and Europe and, and beyond. And what is, what is that influence? Well, let's first of all say that the first three degrees, the Blue Lodge degrees, are largely just a men's club. You know, scratch my back, have a good time, have a beer together. That's the way I, at night out with the boys, that kind of thing. And, you know, some, some things that you're learning, you know, interesting ideas. And anybody can join uh, that believes in, in the great architect of the universe. Um, but uh, whether they're Jewish, uh, Christian, Muslim, whatever. But as you start to move up, either in the York or Scottish Rite, eventually get up to the 33rd degree, <laughs> you, are, you have slowly been working through a series of initiations into the ladder of Gnosticism, such that by the time you get up there, you have a very different set of beliefs than the people that are down in the first three Blue Lodges. And if you read uh, Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma, he specifically talks about what has been revealed to those at the higher level is to be kept from not only the general public, but the three lower degrees. So, And then beyond those 33 degrees, there are higher levels for the adepts. For example, um, uh, Aleister Crowley went through the first 33 and then went into higher levels that are the ones beyond where the real power lies and the place where they really begin to have communion with the Luciferian 33rds. And so what happens then 
America in the 1700s has already now got a blend of solid Christianity, largely Calvinistic, and you have deism starting to come to the fore, which is essentially there, there was a God, he started everything going, but it's up to man hereafter. And that deism is also a form of Freemasonry. And so you have a blend starting to happen in the United States, and mostly, though, the, the Freemasons of that time, George Washington and Sam Adams and the rest, are, are more, um, they, they kind of, they, maybe they go to church and they have the Freemason thing, but it becomes a, a great place in the lodges to, to uh, complain about the British oppression. And so they have a real part in the, the war for independence. I think it's more of a war for independence than a revolution because they didn't turn the society upside down. They didn't destroy uh, all the governing, governing institutions or the churches, which is what happened in, in France. No, uh, but what they did do, by the time you get down to the Declaration of Independence, you get Thomas Jefferson changing what was a common phrase, life, liberty, and the, you know, and the pursuit of property. And so they changed that to the pursuit of happiness. Now, happiness just means uh, what's happenstance, what's ha happy, is, if, is it's external events. What happens to you, you're unhappy because of an external event. Uh, you're happy because of an external event. It has nothing to do with the joy in the Lord. And so you have that, and the, the nature of the God there is less kind of vague because you don't want to offend the Christians, but you also want to slip in some deism. So you have nature's God. So there, you, And that flows, flows over into the Constitution because we then get... Uh, natural law as the determinant, and then eventually whatever a man determines or whatever a group of men determines is the natural law is the natural law. And eventually we wound up in a situation where the Supreme Court now determines what the law is. And the highest level of authority in any nation is its God. And so our Supreme Court, any five-member majority, is our God at this point as far as the institution is concerned. But now let's move over to what happened in France, because over there, the Freemason groups that began to form were also uh, in the face of the very different social situation because in Britain, the, the, the monarchy had already gotten absorbed into uh, Freemasonry. You'll see it on the checkered the black and white floors representing the dualism of Gnosticism all through Great Britain. But in, in France, in France, you had a monarch, an absolute monarch, and you had uh, the Roman Catholic Church. And they were determined to destroy that. Well, one of the ways in which you destroy a nation is that you flood it with, with sexuality. And if you anybody will read uh, James Billington's Fire in the Minds of Men about the French Revolution and the revolutions that followed, uh, he, was the, uh, he ran the Library of Congress, a brilliant scholar, points out that the, Paris was flooded by different organizations, largely Freemasonry, or in, of pornography, because if you can get people hooked into the the basic sex drive, you can get them to be less intensive of, of the other things and, and just more f focused on their passions. It's interesting when the French Revolution actually occurred with the taking down of the Bastille, one of the prisoners in the Bastille was the Marquis de Sade, after whose name we get the word sadism, because he believed in sexual sadism, and that is sort of the, one of the crowning things that that the, once that had been released, they took down the they took down the monarchy, they took down the church, and they established essentially 
the rule of man, uh, and the height of reason, and what happened? It turned into a bloodbath. And every time you get that kind of a uh, Gnostic revolution, you get a bloodbath. And after the bloodbath, you get what? A dictator. Now, another little feature that happens to me, I come from the other end of Europe. So leaving the Freemasons aside for a moment, now, by the time of the French Revolution, you have several lodges, and uh, not only in, um, in France, but in, in Holland and in uh, Italy and in Germany. And so you, but you have something else now happening. You have, in Eastern Europe, something called the Sabbatean Francus. It's a heretical Jewish sect. Um, highly, at a certain point of time, much oppressed, so they went underground. And the, the last leader, uh, Jacob Frank, finally winds up uh, in, a, in a suburb uh, uh, city uh, near Frankfurt where the Rothschilds were. And so there's a lot of indications, for a lot of reasons to believe, that the Rothschild family and network down through the, the centuries uh, have essentially been Sabbatean Frankists, deeply involved in the Kabbalah. And so along uh, about this time, Adam Weishaupt winds up, uh, a professor at, at Engelstadt University, uh, coming up with an idea built primarily on, on Jesuitical principles uh, of the Illuminati, which was a, a, a documentable historical movement. And to, in order to move the uh, ideas ahead of, of this kind of control, they figured they would uh, join the, the Freemasons and become essentially kind of parasites on that movement. And, and because they worked very hard at it, you had a number of, of Illuminati cells in Freemason lodges uh, pushing a unique perspective. They also had some in the United States. George Washington even refers to them. And so, and there's John Robinson's Proofs of Conspiracy wrote about uh, the, how, what an evil thing this was in the Freemasons. So, but they were involved then, so you have this, this, uh, this uh, Sabbatean, Illuminati stuff, blending in with the Freemasonry from Great Britain, and together, through the lodges, Grand Orient primarily, they created the French Revolution. And after Napoleon, and that was all defeated, you wind up the, the balance of the 1800s is a series of revolutions. Perhaps we'll talk about it next week because their time is running close. Uh, but the, the revolutions of 1848, which is the year that uh, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, but before that, Clinton Roosevelt had written essentially the outline for it here in the United States. The very interesting thing, but it all flows into what's happening today. And until one begins to understand the spiritual dimension of the warfare we are in and what we are called to do as God's children, and it's not uh, expecting or waiting for a rapture uh, as though somehow American Christians were favored by God despite their disobedience, but they, God doesn't care about the Arab Christians, the Chinese Christians, the African Christians who are under horrible persecution. So and I come back to what I started with. Next week I'll, I'll flesh out some of the things I just said, but if, if people do not come to the place of understanding that we have been, as a body of Christ, and for the most part, practicing wicked ways because we do not want to understand what the law word of God is. We do not really want to understand what it means to love God 
first and foremost, and by showing that love, by moving into the obedience to his commandments through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then engaging in the spiritual warfare. Because ultimately, that's what we're called to do. We're not called to be a group of pietistic prayers that stick, stay themselves off in their little churches and have uh, coffee and donuts after, and that's it. The next thing you go back into the various satanic systems and doctrines of demons and just live that blended life, which God finds abhorrent. No, I agree. I agree. In fact, <coughs> excuse me, one of the things that uh, you're saying there, I'm thinking of how this begins to affect us today because I see us in America, for the large part, being set up for the same thing that was going on, uh, that went on in the French Revolution, because we've abandoned God. You know, I, uh, Bradley was uh, making mention, I think he had an article out yesterday about the sale of guns going up. And look, I'm all for people being armed. But I start to think, what is the, what is the ideology of the people? Where are we going with things? And you talked about it, you know, all this eventually goes into being a bloodbath in history. And then you get a dictator. And I see America just on the precipice of that if there's not real repentance. I mean, if God really doesn't turn us around, then I see us on the on the precipice of that happening here today. I mean, do you think I'm that far off from, from what no, they No, I, I think really, there, there are really, to my mind, there are two, I, two views of what's likely to happen now. Start, start with the fact that we are now a thoroughly materialistic society, which is satanic cover for uh, satanic rule. And so this, this sensate society, as Peter of Sorokin called it, is now an advanced state of decline, just like the, uh, the late Roman Empire in the West was, and just like the Byzantine Empire was before the Islamists captured it. And so what I think is, one, we're either now on the verge of the collapse of Western civilization, and, and on the frontier of a new dark age, because if the Holy Spirit brings this whole thing down because the judgment begins at the house of God and we have not repented and we have not moved in the area and the Holy Spirit doesn't move, that's what I think we're facing. The other alternative is that the, the John Darby and uh, C.I. Schofield and Rothschild and Untermeyer that put together the Schofield Reference Bible that says you can skip the Old Testament, we only have to worry about the epistles largely, and uh, eventually uh, we'll be beamed out of here, raptured out before uh, God comes back, and then for seven years uh, the Antichrist will slaughter everybody, and then Jesus will come. But at least we are good Americans and Brits, uh, Christians will be saved. Uh, from the problems. I don't think that's going to happen personally. I think it's a, it's a strong delusion, and it shows uh, what has happened, why, one of the main reasons why Christians have abandoned the public square. They have been expecting since the, oh my goodness, they thought that Mussolini was the Antichrist back in the 40s, and my goodness, how often are we finding these pop prophecy people talking about, when, when is it going to happen? And it's really newspaper exegesis, not biblical study. No, I completely agree. In fact, I was speaking with somebody uh, just yesterday, and I said, you know, it's amazing that many American Christians are so engaged in pin the tail on the Antichrist uh, from their viewpoint, and they know more about that, or the twisting of it, I should say, because John tells us that an Antichrist is just simply anybody who's denied that Jesus come in the flesh. 
they're more they're more interested in things that they're that are, have been twisted out of the scriptures. Uh, last day's madness, as Gary DeMar has written, uh, that kind of stuff, than they are about knowing about the Christ. And, and you know, if, as, long as, they, as long as they can say, well, Jesus saved me from my sin, you know, and, and they can feel comfortable in that, but they don't know what Christ has commanded. They're not advancing the gates of hell uh, and, and, you know, attacking them. They're, it's like... What is where are you standing with those things? How are you supposed to be, um, you know, bringing the kingdom to other people here on the earth? I mean, I think people think this is some sort of a pipe dream um, that, you know, when when Jesus gave the model prayer that we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, they well, one day that'll happen. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about let's have God's will done here on the earth as it is in heaven. If he's king there, he's king here. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And Listen, so, we're almost done. Let me yep. say, I want to say, let's say this. You got about a minute I and a half. Wish, oh, yeah. What? Uh, here's this. I wish everybody who was listening to this that sees themselves as a Christian would just do this one thing. Recognize that the Scripture says the heart is desperately wicked who can know it. And ser- ser- seriously, sincerely ask, Lord God, show me the wickedness in my heart. Show me the strongholds of, of the evil one that I have yet to tear down. It helped me to move into an area of purity. It helped me do the, through the Beatitudes. Help me to have poverty of spirit, be, to be mourned over my sins, to be meek before appropriate authority, to hunger and thirst after righteousness every day, to be merciful and forgiving to others, and to have a purity of heart, and have us be peacemakers because we're built on the foundation of the strong presence of the Holy Spirit. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I think there there needs to be self examination. That was one of the things the Puritans were really good about was self examination, and um, and asking God to shine the light on their sin so that they could repent of it. They could ask Him to to grant them repentance. They could repent of that. And that he would bless them as a result of that. That's what he said he would do. He didn't didn't say he would bless a, a rebellious people. He said he would curse a re- rebellious people. And so they they had they had that right. Victor, I appreciate your time today. Appreciate all you guys who've joined us today uh, in, <clears throat> in the chat on the radio show and uh, by video. We appreciate that very much. Appreciate your support. Twenty three hours. We'll be back with you. Rotten to the core Wednesday with Lynn Taylor here on the Sons of Liberty Radio Show. Till then, see ya. Yeah.